I got a call the day after we went full doors and all those stores of a picture of every store with the underwear on the floor. We glued the back the, the the hanger to the box and the glue failed. And so it was it was one of those bloodbaths where I at that time as an entrepreneur, I'm looking at it going, okay, even though I'm coming up with like solutions of like what do we do, everyone's just like F off. We'll kick those tires and start that perpetually virtual fake fire once again. We are here camping today with a little bit of a detour. We are going into the dark underbelly of underwear. We welcome the Baron of Boxers, the usurper of underwear, Kurt Flights, founder of PSD Underwear. If you know underwear or wear them, and we hope you do, you've probably heard of them. So, Kurt, thank you for joining us today to help debrief us, if you will, on this fascinating industry. That was good, right? You, yeah, I'll tell you the underwear. It, 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 it always is uh, coming with with that stuff with the underwear industry. Hey, I have to correct you. I'm the co-founder. My brother uh, is actually, you know, uh, one of the co-founders with me, and, and and so we don't fist fight at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and not is he that. here? I mean, no, no, he's as you know, titles and yeah. you know, uh, awards and accolades go to who are there to receive them. So yeah, that's right, you know, that's right. now <laughs> I uh, now and how many times has someone used the debrief joke in an intro? Um, I'll tell you. The debrief is, is probably the first, but but underwear and briefs and uh, you would you would, there's we get it. I feel like uh, every day, all day, you know, somebody's somebody's trying to go there. So you know, uh, no worries. Okay, all right. This is an enormous industry. You guys are a very successful company. It's an amazing story. But I actually want to start off because. <clears throat> I'm assuming you are well acquainted uh, with the world of undergarments, the market, et cetera. Uh, first off, for those who are skeptical and go, why am I listening to a show about underwear? How big, how big is underwear? Tell me about what do, we, what do we not know about the underwear industry? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a multi-billion dollar category. I mean, that's one of the things of why we only do underwear. Everybody keeps saying, why don't you do apparel and whatnot? There's enough money to go around. There's enough, enough growth uh, to be had in underwear. I mean, there's a couple different phases uh, if, as me being, an, let's say, an underwear expert. I've got my doctorate's degree uh, in it. Uh, there's a couple of things. One, people wear it as a service item or a function. So you just have to have clean underwear. It's part of life. It's, it's, it's almost as good as consumable for being in the beverage you know, industry. Uh, two, there's, it's also, there's a little psychology behind it. You, you actually care what you wear. I mean, when you open your top drawer of the day, there's a little bit of, am I wearing red, black, you know, the, the Heather gray, or am I going for cheetah skin or, or, uh, you know, some sort of a, a print that represents you. And then what we've been able to do is, is obviously, you know, kind of, you know, build this, this gray space and be disruptive to the whole category where actually people think about it, collect it. And they almost look at it like a Jordan shoe where you're, you're getting in line for the next collection of what mm -hmm. we do. So we kind of, we've kind of created our, our own space in this, but it's a, a multi-billion dollar category. And, the average, I'd say the average Joe now in our age group, you know, has 30, 40 pairs of, of PSD. It's not just uh, get me to seven and have to do laundry on, on Sunday. So we've come away since gird your loins. I'm actually, I'm actually genuinely curious about this. Uh, my friend uh, was, we were talking about um, diapers for children. He was talking about how in the olden times, he, th he thinks that um, some of the stories he've heard is that, you know, children would only have, you know, because we didn't have diapers, they would only wear one pair. And so it would actually teach them not to uh, self-defecate, if you will. Sure. Um, and I thought, this is interesting because we get the phrase gird your loins from you actually like humans got fabrics to like support them while they're doing athletic or strenuous endeavors. But, you know, as far as the history of under, was it pretty much just a thing that like no one cared about, like for years, you know, it was just a thing that you just had to have and it really wasn't much thought into it. And then is it only in sort of the last couple decades that it's become uh, sort of the more fashion statement or sort of the bigger industry? I, I guess the question is, how's the, how's the growth gone for it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always been phases. We we talk about, you know, hey, there was the whitey tidy phase. And when you went out of whitey tidies, it was Joe Boxer made his run in the 90s with, with that brand that got you into boxers. And then there was another phase where you went from boxers to boxer briefs, but it was just Hanes and Fruit of Loom. And then if you could afford, you know, one pair of Calvin Klein, you kind of wore that, you know, proud. And then and then we kind of say there's the the phase of where we we actually made it a fashion, you know, point where we're taking you know, somebody that has expensive Jordans or a full kit, but they, they're they not going from Jordan shoes or a Mitchell and S jersey to to Hanes uh, underwear. And, and, and they actually put it as a full kit. We've kind of, uh, we do say, we, we've been disruptive in the space of, 
you know, the category killer movement. I mean, if you think about it, you know, 15 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, at least, you know, Beats by Dre, Skull Candy did the headphones, you know, Herschel, Sprayground did the backpacks, Neff with beanies. Um, you know, we were in that space where, you know, stance with socks, where we were kind of, we were, uh, you know, traveling all over the country in, in a bus and listening to the consumer. And we saw the opportunity where we noticed that that 18 to 24 year old kid was wearing the black pair of uh, Under Armour compression shorts to class because they didn't want to change from underwear to compression. And we thought, geez, there's got to be a better way to, to wear something better to wear something better than black uh, solids and let's give it some life. And so we saw an opportunity in that category killer kind of movement where you didn't want to just wear Joe Box or a Fruit of Bloom or, or Jockey or, or Calvin Klein or whatnot. So we we identified early as we were kind of in that, you know, the trenches, you know, with, with I would say we're a consumer. Um, but there's definitely a movement now. I would say the last five years, everybody knows about it, but we've been doing it, you know, obviously longer. So I, I say we we're part of that movement. So take me back to the moment, that, that moment when an entrepreneur says, yes, this is what I am going to dedicate my my life and my work into. And, and so take me to, if you can, and if there's not one, like a composite moment where you and your brother, the other co-founder, uh, are sitting at the table and you're like, all right, that's it. We know this is it. We're gonna, we are going to change the game of underwear and lightning crashes and it's very foreboding. And this is the origin story. Tell us. Yeah. So, so we were head to toe apparel and, and we were doing everything at this point. We're traveling all over the country doing festivals and, you know, uh, basketball games, Bill's mafia, whatever it was, we were traveling out of a bus direct to consumer before really everything. I think there was, only so you wanted to be a clothing entrepreneur. So you want, you wanted we to were, be clothes. Okay. Yeah. We were just in fashion and we were just doing, a, you know, cool designs. My brother was an artist and you know, I was into marketing and, and, okay. and we were just going for it, quit our jobs. And we were, we were traveling all over the country, be, not knowing anything other than we had to sell enough to put fuel in the bus to keep going. How old were you, and by the way, when this happened? We were, so this is 2007, eight, kind of nine, where the economy's crashing. Nobody's on the road. We're the cool guys. Facebook was going, but you couldn't pay to be on Facebook. Uh, Twitter was there, but you really couldn't advertise yet on social media. So we were just the cool guys. Like I said, going to MTV Spring Breaks and, you know, Vans Warped Tour festivals and just just really building a true organic brand. We were putting in the hard, hard days of building a brand when nobody really was doing that because the economy was was not in a good spot. And you're pretty brand. young at this time, right, too. This yeah, is like yeah, we're 20. Mid, yeah, 20, yeah, 22, 20, yeah, 20, wow. you know, 20, early 20s. Yeah, right. Kind of fresh out of college, first jobs, you know, whatnot. And my brother was two years older than me. And we just kind of had this like it's weird. You know, inside, we always kind of felt like, you know, we're going to the moon. We just don't know what it is and, and how we're going to get there. But we were kind of naive to the industry and what we didn't read a black book of how to build a brand. We just kind of knew that the, the, the you know, if we were in a bus and we could always keep moving and going to events, we were better than we were the day before. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the, the big parts of our journey is like, you know, that pivoting moment. So we're doing three years in apparel, head to toe, youth against the establishment, just kind of cool guys, you know, uh, you know, with a cool brand. And, and from day one, everyone always loved our designs, you know? So it was one of those things where I always, I always want to remind people that when they go, how do I build a brand? It's like, man, we were, we were good from day one when it came to people liking what we were putting out there, but we were learning along the way. But I'll tell you that pivoting moment, we were doing apparel and we were doing a bunch of action sports at that time, because that was when X games was so big. And the main brands were famous and DC shoes and, and Oakley and all those OG kind of action sports brands, uh, you know, were making their run and they were also at retail, you know, so we were influenced by that. We we're doing an event. And anyways, we had this opportunity, Stevie Johnson from the Buffalo Bills at that time, he was, the, you know, he's the wide receiver. He was a stud for the team, but he was fashionable. He was from Oakland. He was head to toe tattoos and he was getting a lot of press for always being shirtless. He was kind of like that fashionable guy for the Buffalo Bills. The NFL was talking to him about him a lot of times because he was kind of that breakout, you know, wide receiver. Anyways, he he posts in our in, on Twitter, uh, posts a picture uh, of uh, in our underwear that he bought a pair or whatnot, and everyone went nuts for it. Everybody's talking about it, and so, anyways, we start pursuing our first athlete deal, and Nike says no. He has a shoe deal that are kind of an on field deal, and Nike says no, and uh, they said because we have underwear or you, you we have them head to toe, and I said, well, uh, we're just underwear, even though we weren't. Uh, I said, we're just underwear because uh, at that time, the category killer brands were moving. And before I could, wrote the email saying we're just underwear, we gutted our website down to the four pairs of underwear we offered, got rid of all the t-shirts, all the, all the, everything that we offered. And when they, Nike went back to uh, look at the, look at the website to confirm that we were apparel, 
they said, oh, you're, you're right. And, and, uh, and I said, and if you let Jordan do a, do a Haynes deal, why wouldn't you let, you know, Stevie Johnson or anybody, these, these athletes do a Nike deal. And so, uh, they basically approved it. And once they approved it, it was that pivoting moment. There was no going back. We had to really commit to this, this a category killer movement and, and become just an underwear brand legally for our athlete contracts. But also we had to, you know, we saw an opportunity in, in kind of a space that needed to be disruptive and, and, um, you know, there were some other players in other categories, like I mentioned, that were, were doing the same thing. So walk me through the calculus of that when you're like, okay, what makes you say it's worth getting, you know, this athlete and actually changing our entire business model in a sense, or are altering it heavily? Is it just, was it, a, was it a confidence in just saying, Hey, we, if we have this type of celebrity, um, this will allow us to grow, but walk me through a little of the, the, the math on that. Yeah. And I think, I think one was we, because we've been growing a brand, you know, an actual brand uh, for a few years now. And we, we, we also were on a run. I mean, we were, you know, hundred thousand, 200,000, 500,000 out of the bus. We were just the cool brand making a ton of stuff would sell out. I think the one thing is, you know, looking at other, other scenarios and other stories that, that other people have had. So we looked at it like, you know, listen, apparel brands come and go with fashion. You know, it's hard to make it a long time in being in apparel. And no matter how much money you have or how good you are, fashion always changes. And we were also learning a lot about this category killer movement with, with somebody coming into a category that's been around and looking at, again, in the rear mirror, a little bit of Joe Boxer, what he did in the night or what that brand did in the nineties. And, and so we kind of looked at it as an opportunity of like, wait, this is, this is an underserved category that we could own. We could actually, so forget just being a great band and brand in apparel that can come or go. We looked at it like this could be our movement. This is this is what we we when we say taking a calculated risk. This is something that we could own and and own. And so when you look at the 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 history books in 20 30 years they're going to go wow. The 90s Joe Boxer owned that. That was the that was the thing. But this next, you know, X amount of years PSD changed that movement or, or you know they they were that 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 uh that brand for the Gen Z or the social media or whatever it was. We, so we saw an opportunity of going, it's not about money anymore. This is also about just being, you know, a, a, an actual movement that we could be part of because in apparel, we could just make great business decisions and we could make better branding decisions to be the cool guy or the fashionable brand at that time. But there is some things that you cannot solve for in fashion when, when it just changes in, in a trends. And sometimes when you get so good, the only place to go is down where in a category, you know, you, you own it and you can actually alter it, what it, what it's, what it's doing. And we noticed that the, the kids for us were really passionate about our underwear brand and, and what we were, they were, they were proud to wear it. And so we just saw this opportunity with the younger demographic that these, these, these kids were passionate about our brand and they were wearing it with all these other legendary brands. And this is just something we could own. So it was, it was a more of a slightly spiritual journey of like this, let's be disruptive and let's, let's own something that we can put our name on it for history rather than just uh, being a successful business. So obviously part of being an entrepreneur too is, and I, th I think any entrepreneur would concede that there are forces outside themselves that will contribute and the success comes from being prepared to, you know, handle those, obviously a ton of hard work, but uh, do you, how do you view sort of, I won't, I won't call it luck per se, but when you have, when you find out that a massive athlete is like, oh, I love your stuff, right? Or uh, Gen Z, there are trends that Gen Z are adopting that your underwear might be conducive to. So do you feel that, you know, no one would discount obviously the insane amount of hard work, especially people forget you actually had to go back when you're marketing this stuff. Cause I remember that period that you had to go actually like all these events. Uh, we didn't have sort of the lean digital machines we do now in yeah. the way that like we had, you had to do true guerrilla marketing, but, uh, do you, do you say, look back and go, okay, we got lucky in a few spots that we were able to capitalize on. I look at it like this. I really don't believe in luck. I think you put yourself in the positions. I mean, here, here's how I, I, I feel the same as I did in 2007. Like I will bury anybody every single day when it comes to work ethic. I'll, I'll work every single employee I have. I'll outwork anybody that's coming into the industry or anybody that's ever been here. And I have that mentality. And I think one of the things that we've always said, going back to the bus tour days is we're going to do more stops. We're going to be up earlier. We're going to stay up later. We're going to have more inventory. We're going to outwork every single angle, not even just we're going to work harder than everybody else. We're going to break it down into these miniature things along the day that is going to put, that is going to bury everybody that we know that somebody cannot do at this pace. And it almost like self-torture. Like if there's X amount of days left, you know, like, like you were talking about uh, your guys' tour, uh, you know, going across the country. I, if, there, if it takes us 48 hours to drive from LA 
to to New York, I'm driving it straight through because I'm not stopping. I'm going to, you know, it's kind of one of those mentalities that you just set that bar and you hit that as hard as you can every single day. So I'll tell you the luck came with planting all of these seeds early on in the tours where we were, we were working with Kyrie Irving when he was in high school and college, Jimmy Butler, Marshawn Lynch, all these guys, uh, we went, we were doing MTV spring breaks when like the real world cast CT and Johnny bananas was still relevant. I mean, we were, we never stopped every second. And I say this, like every second of every day was, was, was hammering as hard as we can. And that put us so far ahead or it actually created the movement that you're now seeing. And so, so when you look at all these other underwear brands that are, that are, you know, kind of in this space, I'm going to take credit and say, we, we really created that first movement in this space. Now, listen, Stance did in socks, like I say, Herschel and Sprayground did in backpacks, but we, we made sure that, you know, we, we were setting ourselves up for luck where if a, uh, a relationship like a Kyrie Irving or a, or a Bronny James later on, or a John or any of these athletes that we worked with, we were getting them early. I wasn't just signing up for, uh, you know, Peyton Manning because he won a, a, a Super Bowl. I, they wouldn't even return our calls. So we had to kind of set up those early days, one, to be a brand that everybody loved and would react to. Because even if you have celebrities and athletes and money and right distribution, that still doesn't mean everybody's going to react and like your brand. And so we kind of we took those early years to pioneer it, to really set the foundation on the value of the brand, our, our assets, our resources. And then that then set us up for, let's say, what would be luck now, which is the categories on fire. Every single one of our talent is better than the next guy's talent. We know what influencers are. We know what licensing is. We, we, kind, of, we kind of set all those things up along the way, hitting them so hard that now it does we would say is it looks like we really good luck that we have the best athletes or the best uh entertainers or the best licenses or and, and distribution partners i would say that it would be setting up from hard work i, I really got to lean on that now the category killer movement we were lucky that that happened but if you look at headphones backpacks socks underwears last so you're i've had to wait 15 years for my category to, to be you know, the card to be pulled. And I would say like going from Facebook to TikTok, one of the reasons we're the number one brand in the world on TikTok is because we put all those years in on all those other social medias. By the time a platform came that made sense, you know, we we, we knew exactly what to do. So I, I say luck is is tricky. Now positioning and, and, um, and I think, uh, I think all those early years and all the work we've done and, and the strategies and the pivots has kind of put us in the position to have kind of the luck we have right now. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I, um, so I, and I, and I know that you understand the power of influencers and celebrity entertainment by the podcast selection that you chose to appear on. Uh, clearly PSD has an eye for talent and category killing. So thank you for obviously selecting. Well, I know the, the partnerships you've picked. Um, so walk me through, um, go back to the, take me back to the days in the bus. Uh, cause obviously our journeys parallel each other. We both uh, built businesses out of uh, mobile enterprises that uh, traveled a lot. It's really cool to see a lot of the country. I, I recommend anyone if they can. Like it's, you you realize there's a real lack of uh, culinary diversity on Highway 40 uh, going through the United States. But another entrepreneurial opportunity later. Uh, what uh, what are some of the creative marketing things that you guys did uh, that were when you're out when you're out just showing up in your bus, showing up to festivals? Yeah, what were some of the kind of hustle, creative guerrilla tactics you were doing? Man, you know, I'll, I'll uh, you, listen. You learn a lot on the road. I welcome. I'd say the same thing. Anybody, you want to you want to learn something and get it business. You know, you get out on the road and you do it. And also, I always say like you got to move the chains down the field every single day. And if you're in the bus whether you're breaking down on the side of the road or you're at a gas station or your laundromat, you're meeting someone that didn't know about your brand. So as far as like one is better than zero, I'm a believer that you can always get back out on the road and, and do something better than, than, than sitting at home. Obviously when there wasn't the option of social media and these viral videos, you know, you had to do that. Um, I'll tell you a strategy. I told this guy, I was sitting on a, on, on an airplane, you know, uh, the other day and he actually told me he's, he's building an apparel company. And instead of me being the guy going, don't do it. Yeah, stay don't. Out of fashion. <laughs> I hate that guy because I had people do that to me. Uh, I, I kind of took a deep breath and I kind of guided him a little bit uh, of some things, but I told him one of the old school things we did, we would get set up in an event and nobody knew the brand or we weren't, they weren't were there yet. And we would gift, um, let's say it was a, a neon orange shirt or a neon orange trucker hat. We would gift the first hundred people that walked through the door. And what we would do is those, those neon hats would kind of be at the event and you'd see them. 
And when people would come back and go, where, where, these, where these guys get that? They give them, we go, oh no, they, they bought those. And so we kind of like preset the trend that like a hundred people already bought these cool, you know, uh, uh, trucker hats that are neon orange or this t-shirt that was neon orange. And we tie it back to underwear sale. We say, oh no, you've got to buy a pair of underwear to then get this neon orange trucker hat. So we were kind of like, uh, we, used to, we used to say, fake it till you make it. We'd fake the trend that everybody had bought this neon orange trucker hat and they and they got a free or they got a pair of underwear because they bought a, or they got this trucker hat because they bought underwear. So we kind of set the tone of the event that people were going nuts for this brand. And then it actually in reverse would. People would see the truck and they, we knew that they would love the underwear when they would stop at the booth, but, or, or if they'd see the bus or, or whatnot out there, but they had to, they had to kind of trust it. And that is one thing with branding is like, sometimes you just got to trust the brand. You know, you don't, you have to prove to people why they should trust that, you know, it's stylish or it's fashionable or the quality is there. So, so we had a little trick. We used to call it with the, with the trucker hats, we'd go to events and we'd give the first, first hundred people that walked through the door, you know, kind of something free that was loud and, and neon. And that would then return set people back to the, to the bus. And then obviously the bus is 40 foot and it's wrapped with our logo and, and name and people just would, would instantly feel comfortable with the brand. And then they would give you the attention that you would hope they'd give you, which they would fall in love with the the designs and the, and the quality anyway. So it was a, that was the early days I'm talking, that's 2007, eight, nine, you know, that's a, that's a, that's an old school tactic of, of the straight road show. And were you guys just financing this with savings and kind of just doing, you know, order to order, just shipping it in and selling what you could and then turn around and plugging it back into the gas bill. And then, of course, you probably had the advantage of uh, I know actually in 2008, we did have a gas price uh, spike, but not where we're at today. So uh, we're able to do that. But were you were you just going purchase order to purchase order at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think it still carries along to this day. I feel like you're your best at your worst. So it's kind of like you we would stay open later because we had to sell more to put more fuel in the, in the bus. Uh, we would not buy as many two XLs because if we sold out of mediums, all our profit would be in two XLs, you know? So it's kind of like, it makes you better along the way. And, and I, I, I'd say that a lot of like the journey is you got to value the journey and you've got to learn along the way because it, it's something that can't be taught. But I'll tell you one of the reasons why I, you know, I think that, you know, I, I think we're the best in, in, in continue to get better is because of those hard days of, of yeah, selling enough to get continue to go on. You're better at inventory. You're better at shipping receiving. You're better at picking events. You're better at picking celebrities. When everything's based on sell through, not sell in, uh, you're, you're better. So what's the, uh, is there a cuisine that you vow to probably never have again because you had it so much on the road? Uh, that you're just like, man, because again, 2008, there's actually more options now, but I imagine you probably had to do your fair share of uh, roadside dining. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how much the human body can live off like true Raymond noodles and, um, <laughs> and, 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 and whatnot. I'll tell you one thing I will, I will not do is we would do these festivals and like monster would be sponsoring them and they would give us pallets at the end of the festival. They would be like, Hey, we got this two pallets of monster energy would you take them? We would live off them in the bus and then also like be pouring them on cereal. And like, I, it would just, but you would pour a monster. Oh, it was just, but you would pour a monster things. on cereal. Hey, you know what, when you didn't have milk cause the RV uh, refrigerator was broke or whatever, you just were gotten to the point where you were just living off of, off of, you know, energy drinks. So I have a, I have a weird spot for energy drinks now where I just, I feel like I, my body uh, is still recovering from 10 years ago of, of that, that, that energy drink movement. So I'll tell you that, that, that sticks along, uh, you know, with me. Uh, it's funny. Some of the things from the road that I do notice is you probably know is like, you're really good at uh, finding public like electric plugs. Like I can go to any gas station. I know exactly what behind which pole I could plug an RV in and uh, get a quick little charge and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's the, oh, the, the monster energy, the energy drink things. I, I kind of stay away from now after all those years of abusing my body. Oh man. I, uh, yeah, I fast food is just tough. Cause we would always have to stop. I will say one thing I'm grateful for. I know I'll get flack for it, but I'm proud of it. I actually like Starbucks. Call. I like knowing that I can go pretty much anywhere in the country and have a slightly, you know, darker roast than, and just like when I see a Starbucks, I'm like, everything's going to be okay. And Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A expanded. It's been many a breakfast. I was like, Oh, yeah. I can get a healthy breakfast. Love my McDonald's, but there's only so many McMuffins I can have yeah. before I'm like questioning my life decisions. You know, true. 100%. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you start to know where it's funny when you go back across the country a bunch of times, you just know where to stop early yep. or late, and you're like, Hey, we can make it, you know, kind of thing. 
Oh yeah. And the part, I remember with COVID, the hard part was, uh, we do these long drives and it's like, where's the bathroom? Because a lot of these gas stations would lock their bathrooms, yeah. uh, cause COVID only struck, you know, bathrooms, uh, yeah. and, uh, public. And I was like, I see so had to actually learn And our hack was we'd stop grocery stores would yeah. keep their restrooms open. Cause it's a long drive. Of course, then you go out in the middle of the desert, you know, in yeah. Las Cruces, Mexico and you're New Mexico. And you're like, you know, there's nothing yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's the, find a Bucky's, you know, or something. <laughs> oh, Bucky. oh yeah. And then did you get a loyalty to a gas station? Oh, uh, Lion yeah. J, man. I'm a platinum. I'm a okay. platinum Lion J. I'm as gold as they get. Um, that was always funny when you saw your, like your gas station. And then by the end of the trip, you're like, no, no, skip. I know it's 10 miles the next one, but there's a loves. Uh, yeah. We're, we're a loves, we're a loves group here. So. Yeah. Cause you could make a wide swing with the RV. You know? Oh yeah. You no, you learn that. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, I want to ask you one more question then, and then with a follow up here. So there's a story where you're having a tough time getting into uh, a retailer. Uh, and so you actually had to pull a mission impossible and you donned a disguise as a Vans rep. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, part of entrepreneurship, I think is, is listen, there's hurdles all day and, and you don't, you don't, uh, get respect. You have to earn it. And so right. in the early days, I mean, it was kind of like telling the truth, calling up and say, Hey, I'm an underwear brand PSD. You don't carry it. Uh, please patch me into the buyer, you know, to the secretary of a corporate company. Cause at that time, I don't even think LinkedIn was a thing, you know, you couldn't really just DM people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would have a list. I'd be cold calling, you know, Macy's and, and ma major retailers all along the way that made sense. And for this one in particular, it was Journey Shoes because we just did the Backyard Barbecue, uh, which is their you know festival, their Vans Warped Tour. We had all the top bands because again we were cool with all the the up and coming you know stars and bands. And we were, we had the bus, and so I called and called and just kind of left messages. And I knew the guy's name. I could I knew everything about this guy, you know. And I just said, hey, I need to get to this guy, and I'm sending him pictures of his band on his stage. So finally, I'm like, you know, being being honest is not getting me anywhere. Let me, let me, let me shake them some things up. And so I actually, uh, yeah, when I called the secretary, I said, Hey, it's, it's, uh, you know, Kurt with van shoes. And I apologize. I'll, you know, lost my, the, the name of my buyer. And I kind of throw out like a name, like Kevin. And he's like, Oh no, sorry. It's, it's able. And, uh, he's, he's here. Let me patch you in. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's gonna, he's gonna patch me in. And sure enough, the buyer gets on and I have to say, Hey, I'm so sorry. I had to lie to get to you, but I'm not the rep from vans, but I know, you know, this brand. And and he laughs. He's like, man, I, you have been hammering me with emails and phone calls. I definitely know the brand, but, but listen, we're not a good fit for you and uh, you'll never be in journey shoes. And he just says, it's not a great fit. Uh, it's, it's not where we're going. And, um, and so I kind of left, but he, I said, Hey, before I go, uh, what would I have to do? Like, I always have this like next level of like, if I had a billion dollars or this celebrity, what would I have to do? And he said, you know what, you'd have to have an MTV show because Right now, the brands that are driving our floor have an MTV show. And at that time, it was DC Shoes with Robin Big. It was Young and Reckless with Drama. It was, you know, you know, Etnies with, uh, you know, Bam Margera, whatever it was. It was those skate, those skate brands. So I wrote it on my whiteboard, need an MTV show. And so I started looking at MTV, show, MTV shows, whatnot. Funny story. I then get the 17-year-old kid to film our tour going across the country to spring breaks, we go to MTV Spring Break. We get Johnny Bananas and CT. He films the entire show. We cut a pilot, send it to MTV, send it to a runner. They buy the show from us and I get an LOI with an MTV head. <laughs> I send it to that buyer and he can't believe it. He's like, basically, I told you to kick rocks and now I have to buy your brand. And he goes full chain, 980 doors and we're the rest is history. So we actually have a crazy kind of grind story of getting there. And, and uh, the show ends up never being produced, but we got our money and I got that Journey Shoes order based on kind of that long way from saying I was a band shoe rep to get him to take my call. Wow. I, uh, that's, I love you're not even entertainment and uh, you've sold more shows than 90% of people in Hollywood. <laughs> um, so this is, a, this is a tougher one for me. And I, I, if you don't mind me uh, pressing on this one a little bit, because uh, you're, you're, you're a father, right? You have five, uh, PS, you have five PSD customers at home, right? Yep. Five. Yep. That's <laughs> All right. Right, good. Get those orders up. Right. Um, but uh, so the line between you just, you made a quote that is like, honesty wasn't getting me anywhere. And I think everyone, if they're really honest, would say, well, of course, there are, there are, white, there are degrees of deception sure. uh, because we all, we all, you know, especially if someone says, does this look terrible on me? We might, you know, say, of course not, you know, and then like 
So I'm curious for the entrepreneur, because we have, and I've heard these, we have, I've had so many stories, right? Where on one hand, there's a school of thought that just celebrates like, Hey, whatever it takes to get done, we all applaud, et cetera. Um, what is the line in the, if you, and I'm asking the context of if you, if your, if your kids were asking saying, Hey dad, what's the line about, you know, trying honesty first. And then when is it okay in the hustle? Cause sure. it's easy, it's easy to look back and be like, Oh, well, it worked out. And I have way more egregious examples from other entrepreneurs who've shared with me stuff like outright theft and like, yeah. you know, so I'm going, but we all, as Americans, we all love entrepreneurship. So we end up kind of celebrating the hustle. So how do you kind of walk through those ethics? Yeah. I mean, listen, in the early days, I always felt like, and I used to, it's funny because my brother would be like, man, why'd you, why'd you say that? And I'd be like, cause we're going to be, you know, like I, I <laughs> speak it into existence. Like if I used to say, you know, Hey, we're going to be in champs and Foot Locker and whatever. And he's like, we're not there, but I'm talking to the buyer and I know we're going to get there or I'm going to have, I have, I'm working with this athlete. So I would say, listen, in the early years, it was one of those, like we weren't straight up lying uh, to, to cause pain and to, to, to trick somebody or, or, or fraud them. I think there's, that's one limb level that, that we, that wasn't part of the entrepreneur spirit. I think for me, it was like with the vans, you know, Hey, get to the rep is, I just, I knew he wanted, I knew we had a case of why you should talk to us, why you should respect us and what we were doing. I was investing in his consumer, let's say. So I knew if I got there, it wasn't that I frauded him from millions of dollars or something. So I think there's, there's that level of like white lie of like speaking some things into existence, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, saying, you know, Hey, I work with the best talent in the world. Well, I, I do. I think that the talent I have and, and I have the best employees. And I say this all the time is, I would love to have a dodgeball game or some sort of sporting activity with, you know, uh, against other brands. Cause we will crush you every single day. You know, like I have the toughest Ooh, team. Okay. Yeah, like I, right. I want that because I will line my guys up and we will, we will eat every. Are you talking about your employees or your, uh, your, uh, athletes that you, that are sponsored? Cause I'm like, I, that would would be my, I was going to say, I always say this to my employees, <laughs> even if they can't, you know, I, I kind of speak that into like, well, you know, I remember early days, you know, you look at people's staff and you'd be like, wow, they got a, 130 employees, 130 employees to R7. And I'd go, my seven, I'm like, the, you know, I'm, I'm like a warrior. My seven are, are better than a hundred of theirs, you know, kind of thing. And so, so I think, I think the, the, the listen, the, going back to your question of the white lie thing, I think there is that entrepreneur. If you I look at it, like there's a level of speaking some things into existence. Uh, and, and, and if there is that harmless of, you know, you doing whatever it takes to get it done, you know, um, uh, let's say you're delivering a retailer, and you need a couple days extra to deliver it, and they're and if you don't make it there, uh, they're going to cancel your order. And you just say, "Hey, man, you know the container is a little wet. That's going to take an extra forty-eight hours to get off the boat." Uh, and you end up salvaging a two million dollar PO because you towed a little bit of a wet container lie, versus getting your PO cut and it affecting all these other people's lives. And, and all you needed was two days or forty-eight hours. You know, like. I'll tell that line. I'll say I've got a wet container that needs 48 hours to get there and, and, or, or, you know, Oh my God, it's late. Let me check on this, you know, kind of thing, knowing that there's no harm in that guy's job or that girl's job. It should, they're not losing it. It's not affecting their dinner plans, but it would affect my dinner plans. If, if I lost the two or $3 million PO. <laughs> Well, I guess the problem with that excuse is you were flying in your inventory for a lot. So they'd be yeah, like, they'd that. call you on that. Be like, I thought you were flying in. It's like, I am. So, yeah. uh, no, and it's, you're right. And actually that's, I think a, a thing a lot of people don't realize about running businesses is that, you know, it's like everyone wants to be CEO or founder, but this, you, you take home everything. And even i I mean, I, and I don't have anywhere near, obviously the size of an organization of PSD, but it's like, man, it is when you're just thinking about other people's livelihood, when you are uh, just, you know, at night you're going to be like, I'm, I'm plowing all this money back and I hope we make, and, and I think people are like, you can be making money and still be on the edge and like, not, you know, not, not, not if you're going to make it or not, you know? No, I mean, you look at big case, you could be doing hundred million dollars in business, but if you spend 101, you know, you're, you're, you're on the verge, you know, whatever it is. I, I think, you know, one of the things that's, that I've taken with, with growing this too, is like, listen, if you're, if you're real, if you're a real person and you're setting that bar. And I think if you're running as hard as, is or you're running harder than everybody else, but you're being transparent and you're sharing in the journey with your employees and your friends and the retailers, and you're just real. I think that that really has been beneficial for us as a brand is being real. It, even when it was tough times, like listen, there was times when we couldn't make payroll. But if I was to go to somebody and say, listen, we, we I need a three-day buffer. Here's the PO that's coming in and I need to cash that check and then I'll pay you. Uh, but if you leave, I might not get that. Or if you stay, you yeah. know, you're my guy. And, and I had a guy, you know, his, his name was Sean Long. He was one of my long, you know, long, you know, standing employees. And, and Hey, we had to use his credit card one time. 
I mean, I had to, I didn't have the money to get the product off the ports. And he had a black card from from days or uh, American Express with a way bigger balance than than our or way bigger uh, shout uh, out Amex. <laughs> yeah, and man, he swiped that card and and he's been with me for a long time and and I would do a lot for him and and but it's just one of those things that while we were growing our brand, you know, you're building that infrastructure. But no, there is times when you're 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 betting on yourself, and I'll tell you, you know, there's one of the things from coming from upstate New York, and I'd say my brother and I is and my wife's you know kind of upbringing is like you just never thought you weren't going to win, you know, just didn't know how you were going to get there. So the thought of failing or quitting, it was more of just what you're pivoting and what you're changing to kind of get to that. And, and, and as an entrepreneur, you're solving every day. I mean, it doesn't matter how big we are. I'm, st- I'm solving for something every day, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, oh, yeah. what it Put, is. You're a firefighter, man. Putting out yeah. fires every day. Um, yeah. Real quick, what would be, since you uh, issued and laid, laid down this gauntlet of your basically indefensible uh, dodgeball team, uh, do you have any uh, tips for other entrepreneurs for hiring or any particular philosophy? Uh, do you make people try on the underwear? You know, what's the, uh, what's the, is there any cool uh, hiring hacks you have? Yeah, so, so first things first, really quick, we never get weird because it's a weird category. We never, we never laugh at underwear. We never do. We never, we never. We always look at it a brand and infrastructure. We never do the underwear. It's so easy to go like yeah. to that underwear dark side. So it's funny as a brand, we we almost don't even talk about it. Like as a mm. category, like we don't even talk about going there. But with hiring, you know, I'll tell you, um, it's changed. I mean, with COVID, with with people working from home, this next generation, and and I always say we're adapting, dying. But but the core values of hiring for me are always the same. It's like. You know, if you if somebody's willing to come in and and do more than they're asked, work harder and not complain or or be down for anything, I value somebody less knowledgeable in whatever their job is, but will run through a wall every single day for me. And I will build them and invest in them because that's a good investment versus someone that's overqualified or is qualified, but kind of has those stipulations. So I would say, you know, one one thing I did learn, somebody told me this a long time ago, like, you know what? One thing I would do different if I could go back is I would fire people, you know, the feeling I had when I had that gut feeling that it wasn't going to work out instead of trying to invest in them and fix them. And to be honest, I'm a fixer. I want everybody to win. I want to save everybody. I always think I got that from my mom. Like I want to, I want to save everybody. I want everybody to win my employees, my friends, my anybody I meet, I could just meet somebody and just want them to win. So, so I think one of the things that, that I would, you know, kind of advise now is, is when you're building your team, I mean, it is a true family. And you need to go to war because this is war every day in the business. I mean, somebody tomorrow, somebody today is thinking of how to take me down on on TikTok and distribution. I mean, there is you just got to be better every day. You really got to have those core foundations of these people are willing to 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 go and do you know a, a, the next level of lengths for me for the brand. And I think in the beginning we were a family, so we all felt like. We couldn't lose because it was everybody's reputations. It was everybody's money. We were all so invested more than what the brand was giving back. We're now into this next next phase of generation, which I, I love all my staff. It's more of like they've come into, they've already got Bronny James and John Morant and, and uh, you know, the the top license and the best distribution. So it's kind of a next level of, of how do you, how do you keep these, this new staff motivated to go to the moon with you? And, and I'll tell you that the core values of I, that, that I'll do anything that I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do, but I'll actually show them, Hey, let me show you the way. And then, and I'll tell you, and if they're not kind of on that page to kind of be that, just, I wake up motivated every day. I've found personally for my, my business and myself that it's better to cut ties early than try to mold somebody and get them excited. Like I hire with people that are excited and ready to go and, and kind of same thing, have that problem solving mentality because you can put more on them. And I'll tell you, the world's changing so fast now that you, you look at, you know, five years ago versus two years ago to now. And man, if you don't have that mentality to, to pivot and move and adapt or die, we say that all the time, you know, you need to adapt or die. And, and when hiring, I really look at that case. I, I forget the resumes a little bit and forget where they went to school or what brands they've worked at. I get right to the core of like, are you going to run through this wall with me? And can I, can I, can I take you along with me? Uh, and what do you want to learn? You know, kind of thing. And, and if they check those boxes, um, you know, they're in it. And, and I like running a smaller staff against brands that might have more, you know? So uh, hmm. I think the core values of that is, is you better, you know, if I'm, if I, if I tell you we signed Bronny James and we need to deliver this to champs in 30 days, don't give me all the hurdles of what's going to happen and why we can't, because I'm going to get it manufactured. I'm going to air it in. 
You're going to develop the, 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 the content. I'm going to make sure the talent gets there and it's going to hit the floor and it's going to be a top seller. It's more of people that are going to go, okay, here's my piece of that puzzle of, of how I rise to the occasion, you know, kind of thing. That's right. Just pour a monster, get some captain crunch, mix them together and get that wet container off the port. Right. right. Um, <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it sounds too, I know uh, you've, you've credited your company to being extremely resilient too. Uh, you shared a story, which I loved about um, one uh, holding on to equity. Uh, you've talked about, you know, basically you only like to take on, uh, you know, financial help if it's basically getting POs and that's how you measure yourself. Uh, but there, at some point there was, there was a point where you were getting some investment and uh, you told a story about uh, an 11th hour cancellation. Um, tell us that story. Yeah. I mean, listen, raising money is, is I don't, you know, it's, I don't hear a lot of it where people are like, that was fun. That was awesome to raise money. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of, it always seems like it's a lot of work and it's the, the, it's really hard to click the mouse to transfer money from this account to this account. That's always the hardest part. All the paperwork, all the, all the, you know, getting them on board and the excitement. It's hard to click that mouse to transfer money from, from somebody's account to yours. And um, yeah, there was, a, there was a point where we were growing. I would say it was mid-stage. We were, we were on a run. We were opening up retailers and um, there was a guy that had a fixture company and um, he was part of the run for some other brands. And so he knew we were there. He's like, man, I've seen this, this, this movie before. This thing's on a tear and we were going through it um, and, and he was going to invest. He's like, I'm ready to go. And we were going to, we were going to, you know, we were closing on the paperwork and we were going to sign and that wire was going to come in Friday at five o'clock by the end of the day. And, um, I, and, and anyways, we're, we're talking and, uh, you know, Thursday night comes around we're excited and, and we're looking at all our credit card bills of like what we took on for fixtures and all this POP for the stores. Can't wait to clear that debt. That's way over, you know, a lot of interest. And, um, and he calls me up, uh, you know, Friday morning and I, I think it's to celebrate. And he just says, listen, I saw the press release that stance, you know, who owned sock business is now adding underwear. And there's no chance you survive that you'll be out of business in the next six months. They're, they're going to take over all your distribution that you currently have. They're going to take over all their sock distribution and what they did in the sock industry, you know, is, is legendary. And, and you're, you're going to be out of business within six months. And unfortunately um, I can't, I can't go down with you. And um, oh. it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, I, you know, almost like didn't even skip a beat. It was like, cool. All right. Well, that's that that kind of chip on your shoulder. Though. Like, now I got to prove this guy wrong too. And I got to make him really read the news, not about the press release, about stance, about how much money we're worth. And it was kind of one of those, instead of those like F you, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this guy all the time and whatever. It was more of just like, now it's just one more piece of motivation to make sure that what I already knew was going to happen actually happens. And, and then also I, I looked at it like, how can I get better to not ever let this happen again? When I'm negotiating uh, for more money, what is there other avenues, you know, factors and, and it made me strong. It made me better. So, so instantly instead of crying, which it sucked, I pivoted and I go, how can I never let this happen again? And what could I have done better? And I took it on myself. Did I get too friendly with them? And I didn't get the paperwork close enough. Did I not see the signs early? Uh, was it too much money? Not enough money. Was it too much? Not enough equity. Should I have had a plan B? What was it? And, and then uh, I should have had A, B and C lined up, not just an A plan. And, and, you know, it didn't make me, it didn't make me better, but that was a crazy one because like I said, emotionally, you're thinking you're calling and you're going to receive a lot of money that's going to change your life and the, in your business's life. And then uh, because of a press release that came out in the morning uh, that he read, I mean, what would have happened if he didn't read that press release, you know, where would we be now? Mm, man, what's uh, every founder has this and uh, what is an Oh shoot moment and substitute shoot for another word. Um, that was like one of the scariest moments when you were, you know, in the, in the early stages of the company, have you, as a, as a leader, did you ever like make a mistake and you're just like, Oh man, like what's the, or another way to couch is like one of the most stressful uh, situations you ever faced. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of them. So I, I know it's hard, hard zero, to pick. Yeah. Zero to 10. I'll give you one of the ones that I felt the worst at and it, and it changed my course because it was more people involved is we finally, we were, we, we finally were opening up. Champs, Foot Locker, East Bay, under one, you know, and they're under one hub. So it was the legendary one. We had Kyrie Irving, we had Jimmy Butler, we had Chandler Parsons, who was dating a Kardashian at that time. We had Marshawn Lynch. We are creating the underwear space for Foot Locker Inc. They've never had underwear before. I'm his, going down in history as the guy that started that business for them, right? And we get the PL, we start looking at the, you know, talking to the factories and 
when I looked at the margin, the factory said, hey, if you're going to try to squeeze me on the price, I have an idea. There's there's a way you can save six cents. But over the course of full doors, a lot of doors, big POs, you could save six cents. And instead of doing this clip on the back of the box, because at the time underwear was in a box, it was single hanging, we can just glue the, the glue the hook. Absolutely, we make another X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's the easiest decision I ever made. And I get, we launch, and also I had a, I had a sales force that left their good jobs to come take a risk with me. So mm-hmm. they leveraged their relationships to get in these retailers. I had the top talent, Kyrie was the Cleveland, so he's with LeBron. We're, we're creating a, a division that nobody really believed in because Sox was still making the run. And um, the glue didn't hold up. I got a call the day after we went full doors in all those stores of a picture of every store with the underwear on the floor. We glued the, ba- the, the, the hanger to the box and the glue failed. And so it was, it was one of those bloodbaths where I, at that time as an entrepreneur, I'm looking at it going, okay, even though I'm coming up with like solutions of like, what do we do? Everyone's just like F off. The buyer's like F off. I'm embarrassed. This is, this is, I, I stood up for you guys. Everyone that I offer six cents on a freaking box of underwear, the money was not, the savings was not worth what would, now I didn't know that that would even happen. I didn't even know glue could right. fail. And I thought underwear, you know, it was an easy math thing. And so that right there, kind of stepping over a penny, you're stepping over a dollar, pick up a penny kind of thing. You know, one, it shit showed all of underwear for Foot Locker Inc. for like seven years. No, they got rid of us. That it cost me millions because I, I they got rid of us. Uh, didn't work because the underwear was on the ground. Didn't give us a second chance. Which So we lost our major retailer. Uh, it burned some, some relationships. And then we had to then go fight back. Now, but, but I'll tell you, that became my personal passion for those buyers to make it right. So I'll tell you now, PSD, after six years of nobody answering our phone calls, nobody wants to talk underwear, we're now back in Champs in Full Locker and we have a great, and we are a very valuable uh, accessory for their floor. I turned you know, their business and I, I turned a valuable, very unvaluable portion of their store into a val- very uh, profit-driven spot. So, but that was a long journey. That was a bad decision. Oh man. I don't make that anymore. I also know how to do a better job at factories and in, in, I fly to China when I need to and, and wherever we need to go to make sure that that doesn't happen. But that was a wow. oh shit moment where I, for a second there, I didn't even know how to solve. Uh, mentally, how did you keep it together in that? Or have you been pretty resilient? Cause I can imagine your heart was racing and you were pretty much like, uh, oh, like, yeah. or do you just go into solve mode and it's like, you just kind of, this is just go. I'm, I'm definitely not, I wasn't as good then as I am now, I would say. I'm a little more, po- you know, where I'm like, hey, I can handle anything you give me. But that one was one of those ones where no matter no matter what you put in it at first, there was no solution because you couldn't put the underwear back on the rack, you know, kind of thing. Within time, had to come off the floor and there was really no, but I'll tell you, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you kind of always know what worst case scenario is, let's just say worst case scenario, you launch into a retailer, it doesn't sell through or the product is blemished and you come back out. If that's worst case scenario, then you're kind of already mentally there. Worst case scenario, I'm getting this stuff back and I didn't make any money. But I always say like, I never let one decision or one thing change my dinner plans with the company. So if I have a blemish order, an athlete goes rogue, a license plummets, a category stop, there's nothing that I'm exposed to that one decision will will cripple the company. With financially, uh, aesthetically, whatever it is, we're good. And these, the decisions like, that one decision, I, it's made me better along the journey because I make sure that we're the foundation is there, and and at the end of the day, the the brand will will continue on, kind of thing. And and I also being transparent. I mean, I hate going to the buyers and being like, I obviously didn't want this to happen. Here's oh, why I did it, but oh, yeah. bad decision, and and I'll make this right somehow. You know that kind of thing. Wow. No. Oh man, what a story. Um, all right, as we kind of land the plane here, I want to uh, I want to talk about content because that's where my heart is. Obviously, as a as a content creator, I love seeing how brands utilize strategy, etc. You uh, have a accolade of being uh, one of, if not the top uh, brand on uh, TikTok right now, which is exploding. Uh, and I think the cynic could go. I you know I have the chance upon your TikTok page, and the cynic might say, well, it's 
clearly obvious why they are succeeding. There is a legion of inordinately attractive people uh, parading around in your product, which uh, you know, has the benefit of the product, you know, uh, works well with really attractive people. Uh, but you say that it actually starts long before that. Your social media prowess actually kind of predates that. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was a strategy. So one, yeah, we're number one brand in the world on on TikTok, uh, over a billion views, whatnot, and and uh, spending zero money. I people forget that. So we're the number one brand in the world spending zero money on TikTok. That one is probably another episode all in itself on how we wow. how we did that. But so so here's the thing of leading up to TikTok. You're right. If you get on your our TikTok right now, you're gonna go, oh, okay, sex sells. That's why it is great great uh, platform for this. Um, I'll tell you, it really did start with Facebook uh, in 2007 when you when you couldn't pay. I mean, so so basically, the, the short of it is, as we've went through these platforms, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, you've kind of learned what you can and can't do. And when uh, you know when Facebook was cool and you the feature was you could tag somebody at a party and that was cool and you had to have a yeah. college ID and nobody could really you know pay for it. Your mom wasn't on there and dad wasn't on there. We had a strategy and we were the cool guys on there. We we're getting tagged at parties at, at, at different colleges or whatever. And then when it changed, you know, we, we identified there's a change there. Now you've got to pay to play and whatnot. Uh, same with Twitter. Uh, and, and actually Instagram, one of the things that we always looked up to other brands is when the first Instagram came out, you could go viral and you could go from zero to a million views. I used to say it was a LeBron effect. If LeBron James says, my boy X is uh, is playing good tonight because we Mike Miller is one of our original investors. He gained like 500,000 followers in one post from LeBron. It doesn't let you do that anymore. The algorithm has changed. You cannot grow from zero to millions anymore. So we were late, as far as an Instagram, we were a young brand on Instagram and young in the industry of being a household name. And so we recognized that you could grow viral, but we weren't powerful enough to go viral at that time and or, or have somebody like LeBron post about us. Um, and so, and then when we saw the algorithm change, we thought, okay, great, you know, you need to be first in a platform. And so as we got educated, we learned and we had, we built, we were building our network um, through all these other platforms and, and also uh, identifying what works and wasn't. My marketing guy, Rob came to me and said, Hey, listen, I think this platform is perfect for what we're doing, but I think it's going to pop off. Let's be early. And there's been other platforms that never made it either. So you, you're kind of investing in things that might not also, you know, make it. Um, but he says, I think, it, I think it is work. And, and, and this is, um, you know, early, early TikTok. I said, listen, if we're going to do this, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to back you. And I want to go as hard as we can so that we know that nobody could ever do more than we, you know, going back to my first bus days. So I said, every celebrity, every talent, every whatever it is, go as hard as you can. So at that time, it wasn't the, the strategy wasn't get a NFL or NBA player because that's not what was, was moving the needle on TikTok. There was certain TikTok viral people, but the best part about it is they were choosing our brand. So the reason we got into TikTok is we there was people already dancing in PSD that they had purchased going viral. So it wasn't like we put a strategy together going, go get all these girls and guys to dance their underwear, gift a bunch of people and go. They were choosing our brand first. So, so there's a lot of underwear brands that are on TikTok and a lot of bikini brands. There's a lot of, there's a lot of less fabric brands on TikTok that are not as big as us. So the, the, the one value point is people love our brand. We did that. So people are choosing to dance in our brand because they love our brand. It's relevant with this era and this time. But our strategy was you will be on the gas and we won't ever stop. And what had happened is, is what when we set the bar, we always say like, we have the best talent. So if I set the bar in NBA with John Morant, Kyrie Irving, Mellow Ball, and I got the best, the next follow. We did the same thing on TikTok with, we had the best people, influencers dancing and they set the bar for the, the people that look up to them. We then set the bar for the people that look up to them. And because we weren't paying to play, because paying is a curse. Once you pay one person, everybody wants to be paid. So we have a rule. We don't ever pay to play. We want you to value our brand and what we can do for you or what you feel like when you're wearing our product. And so because we weren't paying to play, it was really that reverse, you know, cool guy, cool brand um, feel. And so that became the snowball. And what had happened is, we actually were featuring their content. So there became value to us featuring someone's content that they gave us. So they mm. were going out purchasing the product, dancing, then sharing their content, giving us the rights to it. So our page became a value proposition for people to do it. And they also love the brand and, and you see it with all the celebrities and athletes and whatnot. So, so I do say, yes, there is luck that dancing in very little fabric 
is part of the most trending social media right now. That is your luck thing. But we set ourselves up for luck by training through all these other social medias along the way. And um, and yeah, it's, it's all played into it. And I think also the other luck thing, which I don't know if it's a good word to say luck, but with people being stuck inside quarantine and a new platform and everything was extreme. It wasn't Netflix, YouTube, everything's exploded because everybody was stuck home. Um, that did allow it to go into hyper growth mode. And then because we were so far out in front of everybody, really nobody can touch us because now the algorithm has changed and they are accepting payments now. So us being the number one brand in the world, I see that as is for a long time because money is not gonna buy you past where we are. And there's no brand that's been in it long enough to, to do it. When you have, uh, so on that content note, I, I'm, I'm curious, do you obviously, uh, so much organic content around your brand as well. But, you know, as a, an entrepreneur in the, you know, apparel and, uh, and garment space, do you, uh, do you find in today's day and age that, um, there's a content is a huge part of strategy or, and what's the, I guess, what would you view the role as in content when you're creating a brand in today's day and age? Yeah. I mean, listen, content's King. I know everybody says it, so I don't want to sound cliche, but it is content's King. I mean, it's newness. It's, it's being relevant. It pivots all the time. And I'll tell you, it, it, but it's that same, early days in the bus, you were in the streets listening to the consumer at the events, you're doing the same thing now. I mean, you are constantly having to look at what content works because it might it might only last a week or two. It isn't even right. years and seasons. I mean, it's like what was relevant last week is no longer relevant. So I would say, yes, it is all about content and, and engaging with the consumer. But I'll tell you, if you're putting the work in and you're constantly involving and reinventing and, and being part of like what these movements are, you're you're truly are speaking to the consumers. I say it comes natural to us because we we put that work into knowing what we're doing and 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 where we're going and and uh, you know and, and how the culture is changing and isn't changing and different things. And so I would say yes, content is king, but it's not just shooting content. There's more to it. And I go back to like if you put that on the whiteboard, content is king. You should break that into a million mini little things that to solve for what is content king? Why is content king? Where is it content? Who is it content? You know, you start going in that rabbit hole of why. And if you challenge yourself to that every single day, that's that's again why we're we're kind of in that position to be, you know, the biggest and best. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we are nearing the end of our time. Uh, and I would love you to close out uh, with perhaps a word of encouragement or something you've you've you have a lot of uh, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of miles in that bus to the young entrepreneur who is considering setting out on their own energy drink cereal journey uh what is uh what is your advice for our up-and-coming aspirational entrepreneurs here yeah i mean listen the journey is definitely you know part of it i think valuing the journey and valuing the mistakes and looking at it as education is the key. I mean, I think, you know, anybody looking into it is, is you, you've got to be charging as hard as you can every single day. And if, and if you're doing that to, to a certain extent, even if it's not, you know, physically charging or, or studying, there's, there's a, something that you're doing to move the chains, you know, down the field, you know, every single day to get better, you're kind of valuing those, those mishaps and those missteps. Because again, I, I am a believer that you're your best when you have no money. You're your best when there is a distribution problem. You're, you're, you're your best when, when you have a problem. And that really is what it is. I mean, a business is, the, if you don't want the problems, go work for the post office and punch in nine to five and go home and don't have those problems. But if you want, you know, you have that feeling that you you have to chase inside, you know, you have to value those problems as education because you're getting better every single day. My first athlete deal I ever did, I got my butt kicked. But guess what? The deals I do now are, are legendary that people, you know, they can't believe what, what we get for what we give uh, because of, of what I, I went through to kind of get there. So I say value the journey and appreciate uh, the hard days, especially if you're just believing in that you're going to get there. Uh, I don't say you blindly believe in you're going to get there, but if you're working hard every single day, studying and, and, and valuing the process, you know, value the process and the journey and, and the hard days is education because eventually we started out in apparel and ended up in underwear. If you asked me 10 years ago, one, I don't look like I did 10 years ago. Uh, and two, I don't act like I did. I would never have told you I'd be the number one brand in the world in, in underwear. That's awesome. Well, to our camping listeners, I know you are wondering, is my sponsorship deal with PSD still under review? It is. I will be one of the first mental athletes that they sponsor. So we will see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see where that goes. But um, anyways, uh, dude, Kurt, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. What an awesome story. Uh, I am... Uh, 
yeah, next time you tell me you're going to be a few minutes late because the box is wet, you know, I'll just, I'm not sure, you know, but uh, that's awesome. Well, folks, we have been camping and discussing underwear, a statement I wouldn't thought I've made several years ago, but as he said, the journey is long and you never know where you're going to end up. Thank you for camping with folks. Go out, check out some PSD underwear, write us, let us know what you think. Thanks for joining us, Kurt. Thank you.